0: not an evangelistic message, and sometimes it it seems harsh, and sometimes we feel like that we're harsh, but uh, what we need is God, and what we need to know is what, what we need or what we're lacking in our life, and uh, I come off sometimes being accused of a smart aleck or unfeeling and what have you. I've heard everything, and uh, like I said, we didn't know for sure just how our ministry would go and how long we could handle it or you could handle it, but it's been almost a year now. And so far, we're doing all right. All right? But our intention is just to stay until God gets through with us. That's our intention, or until you get through with us. See, I'm not going to have it on me. I'm not going to just pick up and leave because something doesn't suit me just right. When God says it's enough, why, that'll be fine. And when you say it's enough, that'll still be fine. Amen. But we appreciate you and appreciate your efforts to... To worship the Lord and uh, didn't come with any uh, grandeur and splendor. We recognized that the town was small, we recognized the people were humble people and good people, we recognized that we also would have to make sacrifices in order to stay. But we were aware of one thing that sometimes when a minister comes in sometimes they almost demand that he be able to reach somebody and souls would be saved or baptized. And we knew that would not be the case with our particular ministry. Now, if we're allowed to work long enough and God keeps us long enough, we do know that churches will grow. We're aware of that because God has has honored this on several different occasions. But church growth still is not up to the minister so much as it is to people. And we've always been careful because what we want is souls saved, but we want to be able to keep them, and that's what's necessary. There, A lot of times there's people come in, the Word of God is preached, and people are pricked in their hearts, and they come in, and they last a few months, and then they're gone. Now, a fault of this lies a lot of places, perhaps on the pastor some, perhaps on the church some, and on the people some, but if the church is mature... If it's out of its own selfishness, if divisions are put behind us and fault-finding is is, uh, alien to us, then we're ready for children to be born into the kingdom of God, and they'll be healthy children when they're born. And not only will they be healthy, but the mother, which is the church, will be a healthy mother. It'll be able to feed them and sustain them. And I've said it often, and that's regardless of who stands behind the pulpit. That's regardless. Of who's here, the mother will be able to sustain her babies and take care of her babies. Now we've we've saw that we've, like I said, labored in one place for almost 20 years, and the church is still going. You know, you'd think after I preached 20 years, if I left, the church would fall apart. The church is still going, and it's going good. That's because the mother is healthy and the babies are healthy. They're raised and they can raise their kids. And just because I'm not there, no sign God's not there. So it's a privilege, again, to be here, and we have appreciated all of our time spent here. All right, stand with us. We're going to appreciate the Lord tonight before we get into the Word of God. Heavenly Father, I appreciate you, and I want us to just lay aside everything and get ready just to appreciate the Lord. Humanity has ever saw in the life. Hallelujah. And I didn't back up whenever I said anything. and he looked shocked at me and stunned. And he said, for the first time since I've been dealing with individuals, you're about the only one that has ever seemed proud that he belonged to the church of God. I said, I've got nothing to be ashamed of. This thing has given me life. Hallelujah, it's given me grace. It's given me a hope, hallelujah. And when His order goes down and can't save him, this that I belong to, this brotherhood of mine, is going to allow me to hook arm in arm with the saints of God and walk into the kingdom of God. The greatest thing God ever showed to humanity, the church of the living God. I don't know about you, but I'm not ashamed of. Praise the Lord. There's been a lot of things went on in our local brotherhoods and brotherhoods all over the world that I'm not, a, not, not right real proud of, but there's been a lot of things go on in theirs too. <laughs> Amen. The only thing is theirs is not aired out sometimes like ours. If we was as closed mouthed as they are, people would never know too much about what went on inside of us. Amen. They don't ever run down their orders and their organizations. They fight their fights inside. <laughs> We're going to fight, let's do it in here. And we ought not not fight because the world out there is our enemy. We're not one another's enemy, we should never be. We're going to have disagreement, but let's settle it inside here. But I stopped and I looked and I thought, God, what a magnificent thing you've done. What a privilege it is. And I had to sit back and realize, Hey, look, I didn't have one thing to do with it. Not one thing did I have to do with it. And don't look at me like that because you didn't either. I mean, you had not one thing to do with that grand and glorious order that we are placed in. And I never ceased to wonder that sinful, erring man has been allowed to have part in the life and work of the church of God on this earth. I thought, God, if you wanted to carry your message, if you wanted to reach the world, you had angels that could take the form of man and preach the gospel. That you looked down upon erring sinful humanity and saw him, and yet you picked him out and placed him in the glorious presence of you and made a church out of him, hallelujah, and made a believing out of him and made a brotherhood out of that, and set it square dab in the midst of the world, and said to that church, you've got the answers to everything this world needs. Amen. He said that to us. And if you ever looked at that in spite of the weaknesses of the church, and the church does have weaknesses, as long as we're mortal and human, I suppose we'll have weaknesses. And this thing that we're in, the church of the living God, has been so exploited by its critics. I mean, things done by these other individuals would go unnoticed. And let these individuals who call themselves children of God walk a little bit wayward and their critics see it. And they zero in on that. But in spite of that, God still moves in His church. Experiences of men that compared to the way the church has survived and grown into the powerful body that it has sometimes is just breathtaking. I realize that God looked down and saw you and I. I want you to think about that. Saw you and I and decided that He would like to have us to become part of a local body representing the true church of God in a little town called Birdseye, Indiana and surrounding communities and called you and filled you with His power and set you in His body as it pleased Him and said, let the world see you. Let the world recognize who you are. And uh, Voltaire, which is a French individual very avowed atheist and we said this often that said he would see this grand glorious lady called a church and her word destroyed she would not last a hundred years that man's been in his grave for centuries and God's church is still going on hallelujah said God's word would never last I don't know if you recognize it or not but the first Bible that was printed was printed on this man's printing press after he was dead. <laughs> so you see what man is compared to what God is and his great greatness. Thing that, friend, this thing has been established and there's been danger in at all times. And sometimes we wonder, why has not this search, with all its weaknesses and all its failures, why has it not disappeared from the scene? Look at your great kingdoms. Think for a moment of things that started. Think of Rome, the great kingdom of Rome, and it's gone. Just think of Athens, and think of Ephesus, and think of Alexander, and think of even Jerusalem. Great kingdoms, earthly kingdoms, and they are gone. But think of God's church, and think what He takes to build His church with. He didn't pick Rome as a capital, where it began. He didn't pick Ephesus. He didn't pick Athens of Greece. He didn't pick Alexander. But he picked Jerusalem, the capital of a fallen kingdom, to begin his miraculous, marvelous work in this earth. And the Roman Empire, through its emperors for 300 years, tried to destroy this little babe. Tried to wipe out this young church by its relentless persecutions. And the more it persecuted God's children, the more it set them at naught in the world, the stronger their love grew, and more faithful they become to God, and more faithful to one another. The more he tried to destroy it, the greater it grew. Because it was God's church. It was God's people. It was God's institution. And he didn't put it here to fail. He didn't place it here to disappear. He placed it here to grow like a grain of mustard seed until it becomes a mountain It takes over this whole world, greater kingdom of God, until finally it grows and this whole world is enveloped by It started out with just a real tiny thing, and they tried to destroy it right in its infancy. You can read the persecutions they placed there by Nero, and you can read Fox's Book of Martyrs, but I think one of the apostles said, but mightily, grew the Word of God, and prevailed. (laughs) In other words, it's God's Word. It's got to go. It endured the papacy where the Catholic Church took over and the uh, Pope took over and destroyed individuals by the thousands, and it endured that, and the church emerged from these persecutions intact and strong and living with truth of God moving within their heart and in their life. I don't know about you, but I want to stop long enough to just lift up my heart, my mind, my breath, my soul, and say, thank God for the privilege of being in a brotherhood like this that's going to last for an eternity, the church of the living God. The one that God has set in motion, and every power of hell was against it, and still is, and yet it thrives, it lives, it grows, it breathes, It reaches souls by the thousands and by the millions. I want you to look and notice. Think how the church has survived being broken into different denominations. Now, anytime anything else was splintered off, like the church is splintered off today, it would dissolve and it would die. But some way or somehow, through its brokenness, through its weaknesses, through one believing this thing and one believing something else and one believing something else, through all of these, the church has managed to survive this world and still stands intact, presenting Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Oh, it'll become greater as it grows, but the church still grows. I like that. It's growing incredibly. It's growing miraculously. And today it is probably the greatest strength that this world has ever seen, and it's in every land. If you go north, you'll find the church there. If you go south, you'll find the church there. If you go east or if you go west, you're going to find the church of the living God somewhere representing the truth of God. Powers of hell have not been able to destroy it. I want us to thank for a minute one of these times a great roll call from heaven. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Peter's going to be there. John's going to be there. James is going to be there. Hallelujah. Some of the old saints of old is going to be there. Think back of some of the old timers that has withered the stars had preached the gospel, had walked as straight and narrow even though they had been made from the world to come over on their side. Think of individuals in their suffering in a time of need, bent a knee to God, and God answered them. And think of those that went out still clinging to God's unchanging hand, still believing Him in the midst of mockery, in the midst of unconcernedness. They're still gone out to meet the Lord. Think back over mom and dad that knew God. Think back over individuals that administered God's word at standing and will stand next to Peter, James and John and Paul and Stephen and all of those will be just as great in God's sight as they were because they labored in God's vineyard, in God's corner of that vineyard and they prayed to God and because of them, the church of God lived. Hallelujah. And it's alive tonight because of individuals that refused to bow knee to a veil. I refused to let the world enter into their life, Had kept the home fires burning. And in spite of our differences, in spite of the difficulties, in spite of, of all of that, think of what these individuals endured. And think most of all what the church has done wherever it goes. You see, governments sometimes take credit for a whole lot of things. But the church was the first one that started having schools, almost the first ones instilled in some lands that have built hospitals and libraries to enlighten the world and talked about the Bible and individuals ought to read it. It's been the first one that cared about little children, has cared about elderly people, has cared about the sick and the afflicted. It has taught and inspired men, women, boys, and girls to fight to fight dirt and disease and ignorance and social injustices. In other words, you go to places like India and Haiti, and you'll find that the government has done nothing for them there. Neither has their fraternal orders, and neither has their uh, stone gods or whatever they are their false god have done nothing for these individuals. But along comes just a few. Individuals filled with God's power, representing God's church. It don't have to be thousands to be called God's church. He said, where two or three are gathered together, there am I in the midst of them also. And individuals that started, and we can think of that one uh, Barossa mission in India, where one white lady from Mount Vernon, Indiana, went over there, And started that little mission. She was the only one. And she finally found one Indian brother that believed like she did. And they together, began to minister the love of God. Again to show individuals that these gods wasn't answering and pointed them to a God that would. And in spite of all this that is around there, they have managed to establish a place for God's Word to go forth. They have printed material. They have an orphanage. Uh, They have individuals that go to these fairs and hand out gospel literature and all of this. And you know what they say? The first thing they say is that these Christians don't have any more money than those people that worship idols. But yet any time you go into a Christian's house, It's going to look like, now. not on our social level it doesn't, but compare them with the majority of where they live and it looks like they are in the elite class. Simply because through the Word of God it has taught them how to fight dirt. The first thing they do is get their water buffalo or or whatever they have in their house out. They believe this is a precious thing and uh, that if the cow wants in there, you just let him in. He wants to tear things up. You just let Him tear it up. He's sacred. You don't bother it. And the first thing they do is begin to tell them what's sacred is Jesus Christ and what's sacred is humanity. And God's church begins to do some in-workings in their life. And they begin to clean up their house and they don't have as many diseases there. And then they begin to tell them about social injustices. And there is no such thing as a caste or a class or whatever. God views all of them just like. And they begin to break down that wall of petition. And God's church makes some inroads. And even though they're outnumbered in that continent that is filled with idolatry, there's the church of the living God shining bright. When an individual looks at it, they can't understand it. Why does it exist? How can it exist? Friend, I'll tell you how. Because God is there. Because it's His. It's not ours. That's why we exist tonight. Because it's God's. It's not ours. God set it in motion. We had nothing to do with it. We just were pleased and privileged to have an outcalling and become a part of it is all. And it stood for the sacredness of humanity. Has not anything anywhere that has taught the value of life like God's church has. Nothing nowhere like God's true church has taught the value of life and has spoken to men about the power of God. Every place you go, God's church, true church I'm talking about, tells men about the power of God. a power of deliverance from the bondage of fear and ignorance and diseases and the things that bind him. God's voice from His church rings true and loud. And it tells men about the love of God. And more than anything else, it tells men about the forgiveness of God. How Christ died for them. How His blood was shed for them. How He loves them regardless who they are, and how you'll cleanse them, and how you'll fill them with His power and make them a part of this glory structure. It's God's church, and I love it. (laughs) Hallelujah, it's God's church, and I love it. I'm glad to be a part of it tonight. I'd rather belong to that than the greatest fraternal order, sorority, uh, society, or whatever there is that this world can offer. I'd rather belong to the church of the living God. Because I realize I'm not in it on my own merits. I couldn't qualify. Probably I couldn't qualify for a lot of things that's out here. But I do qualify through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I qualify to belong to His church. And friend, I don't let anybody put God's church down. Amen. Got to stand intact for God's church. Got to stand and tell Him that it has has flowed down to the stream of time. Water's been thrown on it. Fire's tried to burn it out. Wind and hail has tried to destroy it. Everything the devil could almost imagine a place against it, he has tried to destroy it, but it remains just like it always was, true and faithful to God, reaching humanity wherever they're at. And it's proclaimed loudly, and I like this. It's probably the only one that can make this claim. Of all the things these individuals claim, of all their, all their social life, all the attributes that they have, and all the gifts that they give to lost and dying world, and all they furnish to individuals out here, all the social acclaim that they might have, there's one thing it cannot promise, that the church of God has a privilege to promise. And it still proclaims loudly that there's life beyond this veil of tears that there's life beyond the grave. <laughs> Hallelujah. In other words, when they place an individual of theirs in the grave, they have all types of ceremonies. I've seen them. Some of them are very sickening ceremonies. Imagine that they're going to put a man in the ground with no more hope than they gave him. Others have ceremonies that border on religion. But there's one thing they cannot do. And that is promise that individual or promise his family life eternal beyond this veil of tears. They have no power to do that. They have worlds world's claim. Do mighty deeds as far as this world is concerned, that their arm is shortened as far as it's concerning the resurrection of the dead. <laughs> and I belong to one tonight, hallelujah, that the voice of the angel sounds and said, he is not here, he is risen, hallelujah, he's alive, and because he lived, you shall live also. Hallelujah, that's my promise. And I'm a part of that. You'll have to forgive me. I just feel good about that. Hallelujah. In other words, I feel good about belonging to something that can boast about something nobody else can. Hallelujah. And when it comes to down as far as man, no wonder, Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. And nothing's going to stop it. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. Hallelujah. It can't stop it. It'll still grow, regardless of what it does. Have you ever noticed Moses turned aside one time to see a burning bush? That wasn't any miracle <laughs> in the fact that the bush was burning. I mean, everybody had seen fire before. So there wasn't any miracle as far as the bush being burned, burning was concerned. That wasn't a miracle at all. But the miracle was that The bush wasn't consumed. (laughs) Hallelujah. So it's no miracle for an order to be formed and placed here on this earth. It's no miracle even that the church of God is placed here so much. The miracle is that it has existed and weathered the storm and still stands vibrant and loud and true. Someplace down through the ages of time, God has always found somebody that's willing to make up His place in the body of Christ. And the miracle is this. And while the world burns over, and while they try to destroy the church, that church is never consumed. Hallelujah. The more it burns, hallelujah, the brighter it gets, hallelujah. The more tragic, of fire it is, the greater it becomes. That's God's church. And we are privileged to be a portion of that church tonight. You're privileged to sit in something that represents. Now, this building is not the church you are. This building just houses the church. And you're privileged to come and gather together to do the business of the king. Find out tonight what God wants you to do tomorrow. Amen? Which direction God wants you to walk in the morning. To find out as a body what more can we do to preserve souls and save their lives. What more can we do to set a light and let it burn so bright that the world will be able to see it and know that it's never going to be consumed? In other words, you let somebody become part of this church and it's never going to be destroyed. The church will not. Now, sometimes we are, sometimes individuals are, but the church is not. But we're standing and looking that one of the grandest, glorious things that this world has ever saw. And when you look at that, when you see what it is, and you see what it has accomplished, and you see what has happened to it down through the ages of time, and you watch the winds blow, and this old church just bends real low with the wind. And when it stopped, it raises up just as straight and tall as it ever was. Fire comes to burn it, it just purifies it and tries it. That's all. And storms come, and it just rides those waves because Jesus is there. Kind of like a little boat in the midst of an ocean. Looks like it ought to sink, and it should, except for Jesus is there, and He keeps it there. And when you survey that, and how it has existed for 2,000 years, and how it's been splintered off, and how there's been divisions, and yet some way it still does the miraculous work of God. You have to stand and ask, no wonder Satan tries to destroy it. No wonder he tries to get God's people at odds with one another. He realizes outside forces can never destroy this church. He knows he's tried everything in this world to try to destroy this church, but he knows there's just one thing that can do it. That's love dies for one another. And this unity and divisions from the midst of a local body, and that will destroy it. In other words, to start is not a miracle. But to continue and to stand fast in the midst of persecution, that is the miracle. Hallelujah. That requires some moxie of our own some intestinal fortitude of our own to set our feet upon that rock where the church was built and defy the powers of hell to move us from the presence of the living God to weather the storm, to realize we're just picked out by the Lord and we belong to Him. To stand and to fight, that's the miracle. And to see the church standing in unity, fighting, remaining intact, true, until Jesus comes. That's the miracle. That's the miracle. It's not a miracle that we're right here tonight. A miracle is, where are we going to be when Jesus comes? How high are we going to lift up the banner and cry? Hallelujah, run in and say, I've got some sheaves, Lord, to present to you. I've got some souls that I have represented you to them. I want to present them to you. That's the miracle of God's church. It not only has been spoken into existence, not only breathed upon and breathed in by God's Word, and not only have we been born into the kingdom of God, all of this is God's work but the ability to reach inside of Him and get the strength to stand these tests and still be standing there with our feet on the solid rock when Jesus comes and declare in the midst of everything, whatever the world says, that we still are children of God and are so proud to belong to the greatest fraternal order that this world has ever seen. That's the miracle. And against all odds, the church... Pure and white. (laughs) Hallelujah. I said pure and white. I don't know. I hear a lot of people say, well, there's some things Jesus got to do when he comes. I almost have to take issue with that. I almost do. Because the Bible tells us in Revelations that his wife has made herself ready. In other words, what he's trying to say is there's nothing left for Jesus to do, and Jesus can't do any more at his coming than the Holy Ghost that lives in us is able to do to us. So if we're not ready to go when he comes, if we're not washed by the blood of the Lamb, cleansed in every sin, placed under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, and our lives without spot and wrinkle, when he comes, he'll not be able to do it for us. Amen. In other words, said be ye also ready for in such an hour as you think not the Son of Man cometh. In other words, get ourselves ready to meet him tonight, or tomorrow, or the next day, or the next year. That us be ready for him. You say, friend, how can I do that? The same way you came to Jesus Christ the first time, presenting yourself in humility, feeling the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ cleanse you and sanctify you and the power of the Holy Ghost come inside of you and make you holy. Friend, stay there with Him. I've often said this, I would like... I have everything under, under control bodily-wise. But I've said this, if I have to go in the kingdom of God, pleading the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to go in that way. Because if I do, I'm going to be clean, white, holy, thank God, and pure, because of Jesus Christ. But friend, we need to recognize who we are, where we're going, what we're supposed to be doing, and in all odds realize that Jesus is coming for His church. And is coming for it pure and white, washed in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, endued with the power of a holy God. And this church will remain intact, and it will remain true, hallelujah, until Jesus, hallelujah, until Jesus cups his nailed, scarred hand to his lips and leans over the battlement of heaven and Christ says people have faith in God and sounds the trumpet and starts to descend friend this world will see the church of the living God intact pure white and holy until we're caught up to meet him in the air Hallelujah, we can and we must be ready. And when he shouts, come up hither, come up hither, be loose from the bondage of this world. Hallelujah, let gravity lose its gravitation and come up here and meet me in the air. That's the aspiration. Hallelujah, you know it as well as I do. The Bible says the dead in Christ shall rise first. Hallelujah. Uh, we that are alive won't prevent them. <laughs> nothing we can say or do going to keep them in the grave. If they died in Christ, we might have judged them otherwise. We might have deemed them not a Christian. We might have judged their life as no more veil. But our judgment means nothing. On that great day when the judge of all judges and the king of all kings decides to cry aloud and sound a trumpet, the Bible says those that died in Christ will rise first, and then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Hallelujah. A soaring crab of mankind has finally been answered. Jesus is here, hallelujah, and he has resurrected us and filled us with his power and most made us with his spirit. Hallelujah. And he said, The grand finale is here. You've made it in. Hallelujah. You're in the kingdom. Woo, hallelujah. You're in the kingdom. You've made it. earth sorry cry has been answered because the church of the living God remained intact. Friend, they've suffered heartache, cares of this life, refused to be bound, would not bow under pressure. Disease couldn't dissuade them. Sicknesses couldn't get rid of them. Threats of death couldn't destroy them. They held on to that unchanging hand of God and said, God, you're my provider. You saw me through. I've been born into your kingdom. There's no place else I want to go, no place else I want to be. I've started out with you. And I'm going to stay there until the last amen is said. Hallelujah. My feet upon this solid rock, the church of the living God. I'm gonna stay there. And one of these days it'll be answered. There'll be a roll call. Hallelujah. All those that suffered are gonna be standing before the Lord. I like to hear him say Peter, James, John, Stephen, Philip, Martyrs of the Dark Ages, Host claw, stand right up here with him. Hallelujah. Hear him call your name. Come over here and stand right with him. Hallelujah! The world didn't think you was anything, but I always knew who you was. I always knew what you were. The world counted you as nothing. And I watched you stand. I watched you study my word. I saw you when you bowed your knee and worshipped me and prayed that intercessory prayer. I watched you when you witnessed real silently. I watched you as you lived a holy life the best you could. I saw where you had Come now and take your place in the kingdom of God along with all of these things. Elijah and Enoch Can all of these individuals come and stand right there by them? And I feel like tonight, saints of God, that I'm just as important to God's kingdom right now as the Apostle Paul was in his day. And so are you. I'm not as great as he was. And I have my place in it. And in God's eyes, I'm just as great as he was. In God's eyes, I'll never accomplish what he accomplished. But God set that on him to accomplish. Hallelujah. He told him, said, Paul, I'm going to show you what great things you must suffer for my name's sake. You're going to witness to those in poverty, and I'm going to send you to kings, and you're going to witness to them. But he just told me, look, you preach the word you be instant in season out of season reprove rebuke exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time going to come when they'll not endure sound doctrine that they'll heap to themselves teachers having itching ears turning their ears from truth unto fables and he just said brother you preach it anyway you preach the gospel you love God's saints you love the gospel and you preach the gospel in other words put that old gospel plow in that corner of the vineyard you're in and you plow that rut long and deep and turn up that old sod to the sunlight and let it heal the warmth of God's sunlight and God's beauty hallelujah and that's the result of a Christian life put in that gospel plow there's a lot of ground out there that hadn't saw the sunlight in ages some of us never saw the sunlight and you just take that old gospel plow you turn that old sod and that old dirt and you turn it over and it's going to let the warmth of God's sunlight come right down in it hallelujah that's God's church against all odds it stood, against the complacency of humanity, against mockery, against death, against sadistic hands of man, where they would kill in many sadistic means, God's people withered the storm. God's people walked the ways of righteousness. God's people clung to God's unchanging hand. In the midst of adversity, they knew it was going to come because God told us in His Bible that He had to suffer and we're no greater than our Master. And He told us we would have to suffer. Have to suffer injustices. Have to suffer failures as far as man was concerned. As far as man was concerned, there wasn't a greater failure in the Bible than Jeremiah. Not a greater failure. as far as man is concerned. Because Jeremiah never won one convert in all his years of preaching. Not one place can you find where he ever found a convert ever won one And Jesus, where God told him at the beginning, said, now you go preach to them, but they're not going to listen to you. And so you see, that's God's success. Jeremiah was God's success because he did what God told him to do. So sometimes we labor and we toil, and nothing happens. Nobody seems to be touched. And we get despairing sometimes. But you see, the thing that happens is this. God tells us what to do. That's our problem. But after we've done what we can do, the rest of it's God's problem. It's not ours. I used to worry a lot as a young minister, and sometimes it it becomes such a habit. I used to worry a lot at the failures of humanity, you know, and all the things. You'd preach your heart out, and, and sometimes nobody listens, and... Uh, sinners would come into church and they'd leave and all of this I used to worry about it and God finally told me He said look they're not rejecting you they're rejecting me so what you've got to do I didn't tell you to save them I just told you to preach the word and if my word can't reach them nothing else can and friend God didn't tell us to save the world He just said witness He just said find your opportunity say a word for me and there's always an opportunity somewhere He didn't say it tell you to preach a message to them he didn't tell you to knock the door down. He just told you to try the door now, but if opens, walk in, say a few words to them. And more than anything else, live your life. Live your life where they can't help but see. Oh, it'll condemn them for the most part, and it'll make them angry at you a lot of times. You see, if individuals are condemned, they're angry. I don't mind individuals when I talk to them about the Lord when, when they come back at me. I mean, when, they, when you just challenge them and they, they come back at you. What bothers me is when you can talk to them about the Lord, and they'll just agree with you and just go right on the way they always did. That, that bothers me. <laughs> but whenever they really get, I mean, when you really condemn them, they're going to they're lash back at human nature. And we need to expect that. And then we recognize they're condemned. And so we don't push them and we don't put them into hell. We just realize they've got condemnation, then we start praying for them. As long as individuals is condemned to the Lord, they're safe. But it's when they fail to be condemned, when God's Word don't reach them anymore, when it doesn't mean anything, when they can agree with everything you've said, knowing that it's directly against them, they could care less. Their life lived just the same, never challenged by it. Then you're in trouble. Then you're in danger if not. The biblical term called reprobate. As an individual, has been deliberately turned his mind from God. He realizes what his life should have been, and there's been times when God would have touched him. I don't know if I've told it here or not, but I've got a good friend of mine. I've been around with this man for years. We've done a lot of things he wasn't supposed to. And this boy, when I was running around, this boy would go to a church, a revival. He'd get saved. God filled him with the Holy Ghost. He just set the church on fire with his testimony. Oh, a musician. Out of this world. He He could write songs, make up songs. He could play almost any instrument. Talented young man. Good young man. He'd come in and he'd just burn like a light. And the first thing you know, he'd be out playing in taverns again. And then something else happened and here he'd come again. And God would just bless. God would displace him. And this must have happened six or seven times. And now this boy, as far as I know, is still alive. The last time I saw him was 19 and 182 in Mount Vernon, Indiana. He came to the church that we was at there. No, Dan was holding a revival there. Our son was holding a revival in another place, and he came there. And I asked him, of course, I'd asked him before. I said, Earl, don't you think it's about time that you was getting with God? Earl said, I don't feel anything anymore. Got no feeling whatsoever. I can remember every time when he'd get into service, God would move him. God would move him. And actually, he asked me to pray. He said, I know that I can't come to God except the Spirit draw me. He said, I know that. But he said, I don't know the last time the Spirit has drawn me. And I've prayed for him ever since. I don't know where he's at. His wife died not too long ago, and the lady that raised him, we ministered at her funeral, and the lady that raised him uh, lay a corpse, and he never showed up. But there he is, out there someplace, just, well, send away his days of grace. God help. I've cried this one thing with him. I thought, God... If you can draw him one last time, just one last time draw him, and bring him into your house, and then take his life. So he won't have a chance to go do that anymore. God, if you could just do that. And that's still my prayer. You say, that's an ignorant prayer. No, it's not either. It's a biblical prayer. It's in the Bible. It tells us that we should pray for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit might be saved on the day of judgment. Because there's individuals just like that. And I thought, God, if you could just do that, then there's an eternity he can live. Otherwise, Nat is going to die without God and without hope. Talented, God-fearing, God-loving young man. Now, he's not the only one in this world like that. But this great institution called the church, in closing, has still got the whole little light up to a lost and dying world. We're part of it, saints. We're part of it. I don't care how much the devil tries to put you down. God chose you. God loved you. And He redeemed you. He placed you in one of the greatest living things there is in this world. God's church. I appreciate it tonight. Let's stand. can't ask you to come around the altar, but... The altar can come around you tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's just worship God a few moments. Hallelujah. God, we love you tonight. Hallelujah. God, we love you tonight. Hallelujah. God, what a privilege it is. Father, to stand here with those that you have redeemed.